Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd uh, spend a little time this morning talking about space forces. Um, President Trump, uh, several months ago, uh, talked about creating a independent space force. This is actually something that's been in discussions for some time. D uh, Donald Rumsfeld uh, uh, started a commission back in the uh, 2000, 2001, to look at this, Jim. What is the reasoning for a independent space force? It's the same reason that they, they put together SOCOM, Special Operations Command, in 1986. It did not work very well uh, with all the uh, assets, shall we say, uh, coming from different um, services, which is, which is fine. I mean, each of those assets, you know, did their job in their own service. But in the field, they had to operate together, and there was a catastrophe in 1980 when they tried to pull off an operation in, uh, in Iran. And in the post-war, it was discovered the main problem was they hadn't worked together, they weren't used to working together. It's an old problem. I mean, it goes back a long time. Um, and um, uh, the other problem is, and this is probably the major problem, uh, is that the Air Force wanted to have the Space Force, but it wanted to treat it as a secondary operation, like it does with ground support for the Army, because its main focus is on air. Now, the other services fear, and people interested in, you know, space-related uh, situations, uh, especially, you know, uh, uh, <coughs> uh, safety up there and uh, and and keeping, uh, protecting our uh, space assets, mainly satellites and what have you, is that the Air Force will basically, you know, not do the job. Uh, the job's not being done now. That's why you keep having these proposals. And the Air Force will always get in the way. Um, and uh, there, so far, there's, there seems to be no way around that. I mean, Trump, to his credit, is willing to be flexible you know, take baby steps, which is how he operates. You know, let's get something done. Uh, there's bipartisan, or there was, I don't know about the latest Congress, uh, there was bipartisan support in the past for this. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a widely recognized problem. However, the Air Force can be very much of an obstacle. They did this with the Cyber Force. Uh, and they've done this, you know, with any with the army trying to have some of its own aviation, which they do. But the air force is always getting in their way, saying, "No, no, 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 you can't do something we won't do for you." That's what it comes down to. Uh, Austin, what are your thoughts about an independent space force? Yeah. <laughs> Jim's given you the problems, the bureaucratic problems or the uh, <coughs> inter-service rivalry, uh, rivalry issues. And the <coughs> one of the solutions, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question, Dan, but I just kind of want to lay the context out, is to uh, give it an independent service status so that it can handle the bureaucratic infighting and also concentrate on a core mission, which would be not just uh, surveillance 
and communication in space, but weaponization in in space. And uh, let's you know, there, there some folks just uh, get uh, all excited and twisted about weaponizing space. Uh, here's reality: it's already weaponized, and uh, it's it's targeted. Satellites are targeted because so many uh, satellites uh, have provide not only. Uh, uh, ground location data like GPS, but also targeting data for uh, other uh, other systems, and ultimately you're going to have space-based uh, lasers and and uh, maybe not a battle star, but a battle station in uh, or in orbit somewhere, a, a, mo- a mobile one. That would those those argue for an uh, independent service. Now my own. My own thoughts, though, is that and Jim said that President Trump is out making ba- uh, baby steps. I th- I think that they the way this should should be organized to begin with is an independent space command along the lines of SOCOM, as Jim dis- described what was done to create Special Operations Command. Uh, I, I would have uh, elements of all services in it because all services rely on space. And I would find officers who are in the, the, the staff it who are committed to purple type joint operations. They do exist. Now, for four years, I had a mobilization augmentee slot and what during the Clinton administration was called the Ballistic Missile Defense uh, Organization, BIMDO. Uh, it was SDI, Strategic Defense Initiative, and now it's Missile Defense. And Missile Defense, uh, uh, there were, I think, only three reservists in it uh, uh, at the time. It was all, all regulars otherwise. The officers I worked with had that kind of mentality. Uh, Navy, the section I was in, J, uh, J3, and I was, I was a lieutenant colonel at the time, I had the strategist slot, is what I had, was actually run by a Navy captain who had uh, been commanding uh, a guided missile cruiser and he had a very good background in physics and mathematics and was engaged in trying to uh, build organizations that integrated Navy anti-missile missile fires with the Army's anti-missile missile fires and also those that were in the, in the, in the pipeline. We had Air Force at the time working on, remember the air, uh, airborne laser, the 747 with the chemical laser in the nose, a lot of experimentation with it. Of course, we never never deployed it, but learned a great deal about the problems of trying to fire lasers long range through the atmosphere. And I, you'd hear Air Force officers and Army officers and Navy officers saying, Gee, wouldn't it be nice if we could shoot down from outer space to take out uh, an enemy ballistic missile in boost phase, or even or even on the pad? That was forbidden in those days. It still is. It's let. Let me put it this way: it's less forbidden. Less forbidden now. Now, what I'm what I'm describing is the kind of independent command 
special command, space command, that would bring all these assets together, bring expert officers and civilians, uh, civilian uh, civilians together, and be able to be, develop the kind of space force organization that where you get the most out of your assets because they're organized and they're and they're uh, uh, and they're synergized. So Dan, I've described a process that I think ultimately would lead to. Uh, an independent service, but the th- thing is, is that what, who, who's going to be running the the Starfleet cruisers? Are we going to call them ships like the Navy? Are they going to be Air Force crews? I don't think it's you know Starship Troopers. The Heinlein novel is based on an Army Airborne Ranger uh, company, uh, and they're they're coming out of the the, uh, the Starship to uh, you know. <laughs> One of the spider people in one of the uh, in, in, in on one of the planets that they get involved in a in, a, in an operation, and it's it, but they're starship troopers. They're not uh, they're not paratroopers. So th- that's of course going in, into into science fiction, but we're on the edge of having those kind of science fiction capabilities. And I, you know, you're looking a hundred years, hundred and fifty years into uh, uh, into the future. Uh, and if you look over the last uh, hundred and fifty years, take a hundred and fifty from uh, twenty eighteen, and it's 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 before they're. Uh, aircraft before you know, p- powered aircraft, powered flight. Uh, there was no Air Force in uh, in 1870. There were balloons for ob- observation balloons, but there was no Air Force. So a space force that evolves maybe over the next decade, next two decades, uh, I could see that as an independent service. I don't think the time to do it is now because I think you've got to, to, you've got to experiment with and and work out organizational uh, uh, work through the organizational problems. Also, help identify what the the kind of uh, kind of techno- technological solutions that uh, that we need. So I gave you a long answer to what I think about it. I've thought about this, and again, as as you you pointed out, uh, there are uh, other defense officials in the past have suggested it. I believe it was discussed in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Of course, it was treated as a science fiction idea, but that was during the the excited days of Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo of uh, and, and NASA. And of course, NASA was a, uh, a civilian agency, uh, ostensibly civilian agency. But, but look at all the look at where the pilots came from: the Marines, Air Force, and uh, and Navy. Uh, so, anyway, that, that's my thoughts. Uh, my thoughts on it, Jim. Now, part of the suggestion is is that they roll the uh, National Reconnaissance uh, Office also into uh, Space Forces. The, uh, why why is that? Well, because one of the most effective uh, operational uh, services, as it were, that we have up in space right now is the space satellites. It's been that way, you know, I guess since the 1960s, 1970s. Uh, that's where most of the money is gone, and that's where most of the results have come from. However, we should point out 
that it's been a constant problem for the, especially the ground forces, that they had a very difficult time. In fact, it was impossible to get information from space, you know, sensors, cameras, what have you, uh, in a timely manner. And this was made clear when Google Earth showed up, what, what, 2004, 2005, and troops finally found that, hey, we can get what we need from Google Earth. We don't need the National Reconnaissance Office. And uh, this, this, actually, this created a lot of the, how should I put it, uh, bipartisanship in Congress, because everybody had, you know, constituents who were in the services who had been in combat and had run up against the brick wall created by the National Reconnaissance Office bureaucracy. Um, now, if you have a space which draws its its people from all the services, you have a situation similar to the Marines and, and air support. The Army constantly complains that they don't get you know, the kind of air support they need from the Air Force because air, air support is considered a secondary function for the Air Force. The Marines, on the other hand, have their own aircraft, marine pilots who, who have served in the infantry. They get much better air support, often with fewer aircraft available than the, the Army technically has because it's our guys up there and those aircraft. Same thing with the Army with their helicopters. If you really got to get it done, you call the Army helicopters. Those are Army guys up there. They're with you, etc., etc. The Air Force never got it through their thick skulls that there is an ownership problem. The Air Force wants to own it simply because, you know, hey, bureaucracy uh, measures its performance by how bigger it gets. Um, and that seems to drive a lot of Air Force decisions. But on the battlefield, the other services say, hey, look, we have real needs and you are technically in charge of them or you are like National Reconnaissance Office and you're not performing. And no matter how much we get in Congress, and this was the case after the 2003, 2001, when you had the army generals you know, in there testifying that, and, and at this point, because of the internet, these Congress people already had plenty of feedback from the users, as it were, the troops. So, you know, it was just, you know, uh, how should I put it, confirming uh, what, the, what their email or mail was saying that it wasn't working. And what really made it work was Google Earth. <laughs> they, they say, hey, look, guys, you want more money for another satellite? Well, wait a minute. We're getting it from commercial satellites. Why should we give you all this money? Uh, and and you got to remember that not only does it cost a lot more to do it through the uh, you know, National Reconnaissance Office, but they have had some spectacular boondoggles, you know, in the last 10, 20 years uh, of uh, ambitious new systems. It sounds familiar. It's a thing the Air Force excels at. Uh, and uh, and uh, whereas in the commercial services, as, the, as we're seeing right now with SpaceX, <laughs> uh, that if you have competition, um, which you don't when there's just, you know, armed, military contractors doing the, uh, uh, doing the work, uh, suddenly things are much more efficient. Um, and the Air Force seems to consider that a very much of a secondary, you know, consideration. Uh, what the Air Force is defending, and, and they maybe say this, is the Air Force. True. Uh, 
in fact, I think uh, about 80% of the the space, what would be the space budget, uh, resides in the Air Force right now. Austin, do you see Space Force as more like a a space, well, uh, the Air Force calls their their component Space Command, uh, but, uh, you know, Cyber Command is a component force where they have different... Uh, Unit, units from different uh, branches as part of the... Do you think that's no, no, really no, no, where no, we're no, headed? No, Dan, I go back to what I said earlier. I just should have... I said that the Space Command that I envisioned was the, was independent along the lines of SOCOM. Running. It's not, you know, it's, it's joint and it's not controlled by the Air Force. Even though they, yes, Air Force says uh, the Space Command, the, the Space Command that I, you know, using the same way that you have uh, Indo-PACOM now, you know, it's it's command, a joint, uh, a joint command. I think that's, like I you know, said, my, you know, <laughs> my answer, long answer to your first question. I see that as the correct step. For one thing, is it, it it helps answer some of the organizational issues, some of the parochial issues that that Jim outlined vis-a-vis the uh, National Reconnaissance Office and its its failure to uh, perf- uh, perform uh, came well. Let's put it to to perform as it should have uh, as it should uh, should perform and could perform. That's that's uh, the uh, point to uh, <clears throat> one of the ways to see the utility of having a space command, a joint a joint space command. Maybe that's the way I should describe it: joint space command. So that that's it, it clara- clarifies it. I think you're right about the, how much of the space budget resides uh, within the Air Force. Because a lot of it has to do with with the boosters and. Uh, the, the missiles and uh, firing them and 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 and, and the like and those are all expensive projects plus the the satellites i'm not sure about there are satellites some of those are are come out of uh, multiple uh, service service budgets but uh, look Air Force is going to be a big player in this, but what the Air Force, that's why I said you have to select senior officers and staff officers in there along the lines of the way missile defense is uh, was put together. And the individuals who have uh, had the senior command slot and the, and the uh, various uh, uh, developmental uh, uh, how the agencies within the missile uh, def- uh, defense agency? It's very cooperative, very joint. Looking at, at how, uh, and some of that, by the way, was driven by the fact that budgets were so tight on it. We got to figure out how to build a thin shield missile defense with what we've got. That was part of what was going on in the 1990s with with missile defense, in part because and I, it, it's it's got to be said you had so uh, many people within the Clinton administration that 
you know, despise Star Wars, as they called it, you know, and Reagan's fantasy, and, and you know, they devoted a lot of their own political energy to uh, denigrating uh, the, uh, uh, the programs. Uh, they're still doing it uh, 10 years later. You don't hear that mentioned now because it's uh, inconvenient, but that was here the, the slender budgets and lots of uh, political pressure, and you had officers within it uh, who said, you know, this has got to be done, so how do we do it? Uh, and uh, Space Command needs to be staffed in, with those with that kind of personnel. And that's then, as for all of the other budgeting, remember, the Pentagon itself, the Department of Defense Civilian Agency, Congress actually holds the purse strings. And even though right now it's channeled through the Air Force, maybe it's not channeled in the same way. Now, the Air Force can scream that its budget's cut, but then wait a minute. Now it's being pushed into uh, a, a, a joint command that uh, are you and look and I'm just just saying that there is another option of, of doing it and calling it an agency too even though it's a military a military agency then that's the way the budget the the, the, the budget is is divided so the Air Force isn't getting the quote-unquote budget chop Believe it or not, Dan, within the within the U.S. government, that's a big deal, you know, because the bureaucrats pay attention to that. Uh, so do so do the uh, so do the services. I, I'm not anti Air Force, and nor, neither is neither, nor is, is is Jim. It's just that you're in the case of space forces. Uh, we have we're not getting and have not been getting the kind of performance we should get or could get. And that's, that's why Trump, Trump's picking up on, again, something that has, that has some deep roots. We definitely know what Rumsfeld wanted to look at it. And Jim described the situation of, you know, 18 years ago, 17 years ago after, uh, after 9-11. But there had been people thinking about this very, very uh, capable people uh, saying, we're, this is something we're going to have to look at because of what space is a, uh, it is a military frontier, a communications frontier, commercial uh, 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 frontier. Uh, and at some point, uh, there's going to be, uh, we, we have to think about it in in terms of uh, of defense, de- defense, defending it. I'm not saying necessarily con- conducting offensive o- uh, operations, but look, we've shot down, uh, we've fired ASATs, uh, anti-satellite uh, uh, missiles. Chinese experiment with it, and that's an offensive strike at at uh, surveillance and communication assets. Uh, so that isn't new. That isn't uh, those 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 systems and those tests are not uh, uh, not new. Uh, now we've come to a place where where, the, where there is such uh, dependence on many of the systems that are uh, in orbit on space on space based systems, and that uh, we we have to make certain that the organizations that are have interests and defense responsibilities perform 
as perform and do their job. And that begins to, that's argues for a joint command. It may ultimately argue for an independent service. And I, I after that long answer I gave you initially, that's, that's, I see it, I, I do see that coming at some point. Part of the technology and also where, you know, what kind of now less science fiction, more science fact uh, systems that could be uh, deployed in space. Did that answer your question? I think it did. Yeah. But, uh, Jim, one of the things we've seen is China putting a big push into uh, their space efforts. Uh, we've written recently about their new GPS system. What is the need for us to guard against any aggression by China? Are they in a position to cause us problems in space? Well, yes. As Austin pointed out, they've experimented with offensive weapons. Uh, One of them, which made the, uh, how should I put it, the the trash problem in orbit, you know, all the little pieces of, 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 uh, of satellites and what have you and, and uh, rockets that are, are up there causing a, uh, a hazard, as it were. They created more than when they blew up a satellite, uh, which, is, which has always been the idea of a, uh, of a uh, space weapon. Um, uh, you collide or you send in another you know, satellite, uh, detonate something, and then you leave, leave all the space junk up there. Uh, this has become an enormous problem, uh, which uh, Chinese don't care about now because they're the minor player. They're playing defense. Um, but they caught so much flack you know, from that that they backed off and now they're looking at other weapons. Uh, Russia recently sent up a, 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 a satellite which had sub-satellites, which uh, we covered this in strategy page, uh, which went through a whole bunch of interesting maneuvers. Now, these, this stuff can all be tracked from Earth, which it was. Uh, and uh, some of it can be tracked by amateur uh, uh, observers. There are a lot of those, and they have the Internet. And so that's, that's the, uh, you know, they, they have this combined knowledge base, which is actually used by the military. Um, and, uh, and this is why you can't keep the, the mess up there in space secret because there are many eyes, you know, up there and no one can control them all. Chinese hate that sort of thing. Uh, but there it is. That's why, again, you have a lot of bipartisan support. Somebody can't say, oh, no, no, this is all a myth by the X, uh, party X, you know, the other party uh, or this other uh, group. No, it's a real problem. You could literally see it. You know, if you have a big enough amateur telescope, and it does take a large one, uh, you can go around there. You can get on the internet. There are there are sites which will tell you you know where interesting things are happening and then the coordinates and what have you. And the sun goes down, and you're not living in too polluted an area, uh, which rules out Beijing. Um, you can basically get your telescope up there and take a look at it for yourself, and you decide. And people have been doing this, and they've decided. It, what we have now in the in the uh, in the United States does it work? Now China is another problem. They are taking baby steps. Uh, they control the money, uh, and they don't have the inter-service rivalry as much as we do, because they have established the rule that the center 
the people who run the country, the Communist Party of China, uh, we make the final decisions. So, you know, all the senior officers have to kowtow, not the Congress, but to the bureaucrats in the, uh, in the, in the Chinese uh, Communist Party. It's, ba- it's basically the old imperial system. So nothing has changed in China for 5,000 years. Uh, but uh, it's not really that much more efficient because the, uh, the Chinese uh, don't respond much to the crowd, as it were. Uh, to get the amateur, uh, you know, uh, the astronomers, um, they do indirectly, but they don't do it as promptly and with as much vigor as you're seeing here. But again, here it's reality versus the bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy is pretty enormous, and so far it's winning. Austin, what are your thoughts on uh, how space is being militarized? Well, I, I think I think Jim and I have actually uh, t- uh, touched on that. I said, you know, it, it, it's inevitable. It already is militarized, it, uh, and uh, it's look. It, Jim was talking about you know with these we- uh, websites that'll tell you about interesting things going on in near Earth orbit and in and in geosynchronous orbit and the like. A few years ago. I want to say this 2009, 2010, probably. <clears throat> I remember reading, uh, and I first saw it on the internet too, that a uh, a Russian satellite, the one that they would do every day, uh, made a a pass over Fort Hood, um, and you know the way it. At some at some time during the day, it, it, it passed uh, over Fort Hood. Was going to be uh, coming down in the next few days. It was it was uh, something had happened to it. It was and there was some concern that it was going to land uh, in the somewhere in the, in the continental United States. As I recall, the way this uh, particular satellite came across uh, uh, Texas. Is that it? It came kind of from southeast, going north northwest, and uh, Dan, I, I I happened to be standing out on the uh, porch of my home uh, in the early evening, and sure enough, this thing came over. I kind I kind of knew where it was. It had been pointed out several several years ago uh, in a, a one uh, one evening <clears throat> and it, 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 it you could see the thing burning up uh, it was mostly incinerated coming in I believe little pieces of it were found somewhere uh, in west of Fort Worth <laughs> on uh, on the uh, on the ground not much uh, now that is a yes it's a spy satellite but it it's it's a military weapon at the same time because it's directed at finding out what was going on 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 the ground at, at Fort Hood Texas which is where uh, the 3rd Corps is head, uh, headquartered and 3rd Corps is uh, uh, the America's Ar- Ar- Armored Corps is what it uh, amounts to uh, I don't know what all was on that particular Russian uh, satellite, whether it was just images 
or had other kinds of, of uh, uh, surveillance, ca- uh, surveillance capabilities, saying, well, wait a minute, Austin, that's, that's not a, really a weapon system. Well, it's part of a military operation, military surveillance operation. You can argue diplomatically, politically, it's good for the Russians to be able to look at Fort Hood and see how things are moving around. And, okay, and there's some ways that certain certain things would be done if there were particularly sensitive activities so that they would be done without that Russian satellite uh, being uh, aware, uh, aware of it. I'm talking about camouflaging, masking, or not doing something when it, when it came across. As Jim said earlier, uh, if everybody knows where all, most of these systems are, or somebody can see them, uh, can see it. Now, is it a weapon? No, but it certainly attracts weapons. Jim described two or three ways to knock out uh, surveillance satellites by using other satellites, or as I said, you know, anti-satellite uh, missiles. We experimented with one uh, that was fired by an F, uh, F-15. Uh, and the F-15 was uh, in a, uh, you know, direct, like a ballistic cl- uh, climb itself, so that it was essentially boosting this, uh, 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 this missile. And it was fired at one of our uh, uh, sal- uh, satellites. It was the reason we went this way was that instead of using some ground-based missile I- interceptor, if you could put it on an F-15 or a, a high-performance high uh, uh, jet, then you could deploy this particular anti-satellite missile anywhere on the planet. Uh, air, air, airspace to knock out a uh, a, a communication or surveillance uh, a surveillance satellite. And remember something else I said too about what uh, airborne laser experiments uh, uh, confirmed. It was something that the physicists and and uh, laser laser uh, technology. Uh, laser engineers already knew that there's a distortion effect when you fire a, a laser uh, through the atmosphere, especially uh, at uh, distant distant targets. Uh, you're, remember, you're, the Earth's circular, it's curved, and so when you're firing even from a high, uh, a fairly high altitude, you know, is that, and you're trying to shoot a missile in boost phase, you're firing at a distance through uh, uh, the atmosphere gets increasingly thicker the closer you get to the ground and the boost phase with the missile coming up. It was, you, you couldn't get enough power to burn, uh, to burn it and burn it effect, uh, effectively. But you could if you were shooting down from a space platform, for one thing, you could have a, a, a more power, more powerful power generating uh, systems on this uh, on this platform, and so that would be have been a space based laser of the old strategic de- defense in, uh, initiative, which was uh, beyond our technical capacity. 
uh, pretty much acknowledged by American defense uh, experts in the mid-1980s. Uh, but as Jim's written several times, it scared the Soviets that we might be able to do it. Well, we're approaching the cap uh, capability of, of being able to do something like that. It would be a much more effective missile defense system. And I, th I think, I said, just because we can do it, up to the Chinese, maybe the Russians can do it as well. So offensive weapons, beam weapons, I, I'm not arguing this from a science fiction uh, uh, perspective. I'm not arguing this because I want to see space weaponized. But I think we will see because that's the way things work. And it, it's, if it, in this case, if it can be done, uh, and it, it will, and it'll be argued that it's a defensive system. Because what I described really is most effectively a defensive system. Could it be used offensively with a, like a, you know, Starship Enterprise coming in and firing uh, 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 beam weapons uh, at uh, targets on, a, on an alien world? Uh, theoretically, yes. So... My thoughts on this is that it's uh, uh, inevitable, and and I think I've given you some of the ways, showing you how it, that, that you can already say that some of the systems that have been um, used ex experimentally are are weapon systems. Uh, by the way, the the other thing is well, maybe one other point, and this is something that we've talked about a lot. You. There's there's so many communications and sensor systems that are space based, and they are within the they're they're part of the targeting systems that may not be directing uh, a missile or a bomb or even a art artillery round from uh, the uh, space based system. But somewhere in there, it, it, it has provided targeting information. So in that sense, it's part of an offensive weapon system already. Jim, one last thing. What would happen if we lost our GPS uh, satellites to the military? What would the effect uh... be? Our weapons would be less effective. They wouldn't be ineffective. The biggest uh, impact of uh, losing the GPS system would be on the civilian economy. Uh, the military has already built in backups. They have the initial, uh, uh, initial INS, initial navigation systems, which are miniaturized. They're almost you know, as cheap as a GPS transponder, but they're never going to be as accurate because they have what they call a drift. In other words, they need to be, they need to stop and be you know given real their real position, and then they maintain it as as it moves. You use accelerometers and what have you. Um, it's the same sort of technology that that exists in some uh, smartphones uh, already. But uh, it's the civilian economy that is so dependent upon uh, GPS. Uh, plain old GPS, not militarized, you know, GPS with backups and what have you. So it wouldn't affect, well, it would affect the military because if the civilian economy is all fouled up, uh, that's going to mean there's going to be less, uh, I should put logistics and other support uh, for the military. Uh, uh, so it does indirectly affect the military, but directly the military has prepared itself. But the commercial, you know, the civilian world isn't going to pay those kind of costs. It's much more expensive to have the alternate 
uh, INS system built into weapons and, and aircraft and what have you. Oh, for example, a commercial aircraft, large aircraft, they have the backup INS system in them, uh, the latest one, because A, obviously, if there's any problem with their GPS up there, uh, they cannot afford, you know, there's no there's no backup. They can't land and ask for directions unless they're a helicopter. Um, and that has happened. Uh, so, uh, it's, yes, it will hurt us, but not in the way a lot of people tend to think. They say, oh my God, our, our smart bombs won't find the target anymore. I said, oh yeah, they will. They just won't hit as accurately. Uh, so there'll be more civilian casualties or whatever. I mean, they'll be, be less effective, but they won't be ineffective. So there you go. Everything's a matter of degree. Dan, let me let me make a real quick comment on that too. This has been a, a, a discussion uh, in the army and, and the Marines. I, I know what, what happens if we don't have uh, uh, GPS uh, supply applying to us. And I said, this is why we still teach uh, soldiers uh, how to read a map and why uh, you know orienteering with a compass is is a, still a, a good thing to know and and learn how you can you know get by without uh, without uh, digital data uh, from space in other words uh, do it the old fashioned way and uh, it's it's still uh, it's still valuable skills Yes, the Navy is the Navy has done the same thing for the last few years. They brought back the sextant. Yeah, I know uh, that. That's a yeah. good example. And, 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 of the and, same and, thing. and it basically they got plenty of sailors willing to do it because this is an arcane art now, the sextant, because it became competitive. Every once in a while, they have an exercise, and and the most famous one where is a, a destroyer was told, "All right, turn off the GPS. You got to go from I don't know several thousand kilometers to Guam." Which is a, law, a fairly large island, and the, uh, the, the the Navy destroyer using old the old-fashioned way, which was which was the only way, what thirty years ago, um, <laughs> they, they came they came within seven kilometers of where the um, where GPS would put it, but it was close enough to say, for somebody to say land ho. I don't know if they actually had that too, but anyway, they came close enough to get you know be able to do. Uh, a, a visual, as it were, as Austin was pointing out. The Air Force even has started doing this. They don't have the problem with their fighter bombers and what have you, but with their long-range bombers, if GPS goes out, they have to rely on the inertial uh, uh, navigation system, which has drift, especially over long distances. And they recently shut down a large chunk of northern Montana. It's 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 a it's a it's a large Air Force uh, range anyway, but they got permission. To basically <laughs> uh, uh, tell you know any commercial aviation you know send them a note tamp stay out of here GPS won't be working for X number of hours and they sent in ten long range bombers of B-52s B-1s and B-2s all flying in just on INS and when they got there they were expected to use the old fashioned way of finding out where the hell are we exactly because in the old days the Air Force also used the sexting. Uh, but when they, if they were going to hit a target, uh, they they get close enough, close enough, so to speak, you know, with the with the sections and what have you. Uh, but then they finally had to look at the ground and say, well, where exactly is this thing we're trying to hit? Um, and they this exercise was held, I think, in October. Uh, and again, it was competitive. The, it got the, the, the crews going, said, well, hell, we can do this. And we may have to, so let's be good at it. Uh, so as Austin points out, yeah, the uh, the old ways are still around, 
and the armed forces have found out that it's not a big deal just to add it back into the training uh, because they, they, the troops basically understand and they just like learning another skill, which is, you know, uh, back to basics. Look, orienteering is kind of fun. You know, when you're giving exactly. a, a map, right? it's exactly. kind of fun. It is. Exactly. And that's it. You know, the, 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 the Marines learned that a long time ago. Find out what the troops enjoy that is also military useful. And they put that into the training. The Army finally caught on. As long as they keep uh, using it to some way at some time, they can retain those skills. It is, it is a skill that needs to be practiced, though. Yeah, and what they do no, is... Having gotten lost a couple of times orienteering, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, they, 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 have, they have competitions. Uh, and so you, all you need is a couple of guys who know what they're doing in a unit, and that'll get you through. But the, uh, the Air Force, for example, I had these 10 bombers from, I don't know, well, at least three different squadrons. Uh, but you better believe they were all competitive. All of them wanted to be, you know, the most accurate. Um, and the Navy had the same thing. Uh, all right, you guys, you five ships, you know, you're going to go from the middle of nowhere to, you know, this island in the middle of nowhere. Uh, who can get there uh, most accurately? Uh, and that gets the blood going, and that's all it takes to get good training. Look, let me, let me say something for the Army on here, Jim. When I was both a cadet and a, a, a lieutenant, we, we would, uh, in, in, in training before I deployed to my in first unit, uh, I must have gone through eight or nine at least orienteering exercises where we're given a, a compass and 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 our, in fact is one of them was about a 12 mile problem uh well uh that that, that kind of uh, distance which obviously it took a greater greater part of the day and it was fun because on that one particularly the weather was good sometimes when the when the weather's bad i participated in one that was going on in a rainstorm at night but it was, and therefore, you also you had to go through the deal of throwing a poncho over and using the light, uh, you know, your your flashlight to and to, to do the uh, 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 compass reading. Now that that was, but those are good skills, and those didn't disappear until after. Eh, I'm not even sure they ever totally disappeared because, uh, but the after you know GPS comes in and everybody's got a GPS and uh, after Desert Storm, but uh, they're they're coming back and they should never have left because you you can use your electronic uh, your electronic uh, uh, capabilities and everybody uh, all the troops know it. All right, well we'll wrap it up there and we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.